welcome to another episode of the Pure Property Podcast, where we talk about all things property and property investment. The aim of the podcast is to give you our industry insight and knowledge to help investors to invest intelligently. And today we're joined by a very special guest. We have Sam Norris, who is the owner and director of Grand Union Finance. And he predominantly deals with buy-to-let investors, um, everything finance on that side of things, property related. So we thought with everything going on in the mortgage market and all the questions we get from our clients and investors, it would be a massive bonus and help to have someone with the expertise and knowledge of Sam's to give us the answers to some of the questions that you are asking. Um, So Sam, it's great to have you on here. Thanks for joining us today. And um, yeah, if you give us a quick sort of intro and overview about yourself and yeah, what, what you do. Yeah, cheers, Toby. Um, happy to be here. I think I'd rather be where Nick is because it looks much much sunnier there. Um, but yeah, um, as Toby said, I'm I'm Sam Norris, um, managing director and owner of Grand Union Finance. Um, I've been a broker for 16 years now, although it clearly doesn't look it because I'm so youthful. Um, but uh, but yeah, really, the vast majority of that time I've spent helping investors build portfolios. Um, so that really is kind of my area of expertise. Um, I started off as a as kind of your bog standard type broker that sits in the back of a state agent. So got to learn my trade that way, but very quickly, um, you know, decided that working with investors, working with the de- with developers was was much more what um, what got me going, if you like. So over the years, obviously I've helped quite a lot of people now be what I believe to be very, very successful. And I'm glad to have had a, a role in, and a part to play in that. So hopefully today I'll be able to share a bit of that insight with you guys as well. Good stuff, sounds positive. So. Sam, just to, to keep it at a very basic level as well, we've started to get a lot of younger property investors coming to the market who might be a bit less experienced, uh, overseas investors as well who might be used to dealing with banks directly, like, for example, in, in Dubai, that's how it's done a lot of the time. So can you give us a very quick snapshot of you know what you think a, a good quality broker is and what they can do for investors? Yeah, well, I think there's, um, <clears throat> I get asked this question quite a lot. And what I always say to people is, it's not broker, it's brokerage, because what you want is a team. Um, so one of the big problems in our industry is that um, a lot of companies, a lot of brokerages, it's almost like you've got a big company with a load of individuals that are all running their own individual little companies. So a lot of brokers are asked to do a large amount of jobs from finding clients to initial consultations, researching mortgage products or bridging products or whatever, whatever they need, um, presenting that, doing paperwork, following it through, doing back office admin, doing compliance, all that kind of stuff. And it's just impossible. Um, I've tried it numerous times and it, and it doesn't work. So what I always say to people is, is find, um, you know, try and find a, a brokerage where you're going to get supported and you've got different people with different levels of expertise or different types of expertise, I should say, working on different parts of the process. You know, I'm, I'm not the most organized person in the world. I'm, I'm not a good administrator. Um, so I'm not great at, at sort of compliance stuff. So we have the relevant people in place to make sure that, that happens. So what makes a good brokerage is utilizing the different skills of different uh, areas of the process to enable a what I believe to be a better all round customer experience. You need people that at the front end are very knowledgeable about property strategies, um, as well as all the products that are relevant to those, to those strategies. Um, somebody who can understand and research the market and find you the best product, but then you need people that can come in 
do the paperwork, check documents, and that's their level, that's their area of expertise, follow things through, very organized. Um, and we have, and then we have a, you know, systems and processes in place to make sure that everything's compliant and everything's done. Um, and we're ticking all those kind of FCA boxes on the way through as well. So I think that on, on the on the sort of the most fundamental side makes a good broker slash brokerage. Um, but I think if you're an investor in particular, you want to find a broker who understands what you're trying to achieve because a lot of brokers are set up to be very transactional. Um, a lot of them are set up to work with home buyers rather than investors. Um, there are something like 8,000 registered brokers in the UK. The vast majority of those specialize in residential home purchases rather than investors. So one thing that I made sure that I did was when I first decided that I was going to venture into working with investors, I actually took a property investing course um, so that I would understand it better. Um, I was tempted, you know, there's those salespeople are great. I was tempted to go on like all the further courses and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't, I was there for a reason to get the great basic groundwork. And then the university of YouTube has, has really helped me out throughout the, the, that as well. And now through working with investors, seeing how they tick, seeing what they do, going to, you know, large numbers of networking events on a monthly basis as well and 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 hearing you know people's stories and what they're doing and keeping up to date what the latest trends are that's what i believe sets me apart from some of my competition because i truly understand how investing works and what different types of strategies are going to diff suit different people most of the time when i speak to clients for the first time um we don't really talk about finance a huge amount we talk about more. Well, the, the, the first question I ask them is, "What what does your property company look like when it's when it's finished? What does your property business look like when it's finished?" And they're quite usually people are quite shocked to hear that um, because if, then it obviously allows me um, to better kind of figure out what strategies they probably are going to be employing and therefore what type of finance they're going to need, what kind of products they're going to be utilizing, and that will obviously lead lead us into a conversation about that. At the end so i know that was quite a long-winded answer to your question nick but hopefully it answered it <laughs> yeah definitely definitely i think it's really useful because i don't think a lot of people really do understand the, the value of a, of a good broker both <clears throat> i think on a, a sort of emotional level and financial level as well obviously so yeah it's really interesting from that side of things and one of the words you mentioned there sam is trends um so perhaps we could have a quick look at that and give the guys an idea of, of where we're at in terms of the, the mortgage market at the moment. We've seen things like uh, products being withdrawn, um, interest rate, obviously fluctuations. Um, so from uh, as maybe an insider's perspective, we can word it like that. What's your thoughts on, on sort of the macro level, what's happening at the moment, and then maybe where you see things going? Yeah, I think lots of people are getting scared because obviously we had um, a couple of things towards the sort of, I'd say probably the last quarter of last year um, that really didn't didn't help us out. We had the Bank of England um, persisting with constant base rate increases, which wasn't really allowing the both the the, you know, the, the mortgage lenders themselves and sort of the, the top level um, institutional funders, where, which, you know, where most of the money that actually trickles down into the market comes from to really get a foothold um, into what they were doing. It was causing a lot of disruption in the market. Um, personally, I feel like the Bank of England probably were a bit overzealous. Um, they could have given um, the lenders a bit of a break every now and again, maybe a couple of months off. Uh, from the from these rates uh, rate increases and then of course we had the clowns um come into uh to downing street as well um put out a mini budget that was um well the, they, they they didn't get an a plus from me basically on on that 
um, complete disaster, possibly one of the worst, you know, administrations in the history of politics um, to come in, effectively ripped up our economy in a matter of uh, minutes. And, um, and so all of that coming together just left us in a bit of a mess. Um, like them or not, um, you know, Rishi and Jeremy have come in, stabilised things. Um, and so, so now what we're actually seeing is something that's quite, um, and he said macro, so let's keep it macro. <laughs> um, we're, seeing, we're seeing quite a weird trend at the moment in the mortgage market where the Bank of England base rate continues to go up, yet mortgage rates are coming down. And um, it's all to do actually with the fact that it's the economy is feeling more stable. Inflation is coming down. Um, think people are starting to feel more confident. Um, the, the the dip in in the property market hasn't been maybe as severe as some people are expecting. In fact, there are certain areas that are sort of kind of just stagnant rather than going down. Um, and all of it, all of this has meant that those big institutional banks that I mentioned, you know, your JP Morgans, your RBSs, your Citibanks, who effectively pay for most of the mortgages in a roundabout way, you know, in the whole country they they feel confident they they feel confident in investing they are making good money um and therefore they can lend money out at, at decent rates um and there are sort of there are sort of different rates that they use called swap rates and that they they use to sort of just determine how much you know that 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 money that they're lending out is going to cost the person that or the, or the the other lender that's borrowing it from them um and because things are stable in that side of things even with the bank of england base rate going up it still means that mortgage rates can come down. Um, and we are seeing a trend definitely towards more long-term fixed rates, five-year, seven-year, 10-year even, um, because that money is just cheaper to borrow at the moment than the short, shorter-term stuff, because the shorter-term stuff is a bit more risky. So that's that's the reason for that happening, which um, whenever I talk about it, whenever I put a post out about those kind of things, it's always they're always very, very popular, I, I see. So it's obviously something that people are interested in um, and that's really why, why it's happening. So yeah, on a macro level, uh, base rate keeps going up, but mortgage rates are, are continuing to come down. I think we're pretty much at the bottom of the market. I don't think there's going to be too much more movement. Um, maybe we've got another month, two months of, of um, mortgage rates maybe coming down a little bit, but we're talking about, you know, 0 0.01, 0 0.02 here, here and there, nothing major. Um, I think we're, we're roughly where, where we're going to be and I can't see it changing really for the next, possibly 18 months. So, um, you know, if you if you're holding back because you're, you're waiting for rates to come down, it, now's probably the time to, to forget that strategy and, and get moving. Mm, that's uh, that is interesting. And so I, obviously, I know they they pulled some products out of the market. And is it correct in that we're now seeing more products come back to the market again, where lenders are having to be more competitive because they can see things are moving, people are still taking out mortgages. So with that, they need to be competitive, bring out more products, more favorable products. And like you said, have, have more uh, sort of favorable rates as well. Yeah, so there's two things on that. Um, number one is to do with um, why those rates were, were pulled. And then number two is to is on that competitive side. So the first part of that is that when I was talking about before in, in terms of those swap rates, um, they the, the swap rates fluctuate on a daily basis, a little bit like kind of like the foreign exchange markets, if you like. Um, so mm. they they will the, the less they're fluctuating, the more stable they are. Now, when we had old Kamikaze Quasi or whatever his name is come out and give us that mini budget, um, it sent it just sent the market into into overdrive. Um, nobody knew what the hell was going on, and effectively, what was happening was we were seeing those swap rates go up and down, up and down, up and down. 
Um, and and lend, it got to a point where lenders just couldn't lend because they just did not know how to price their products. That's what it was. Everyone got scared. They thought, oh, we're going for a credit crunch again. There must be no money. <clears throat> well, in theory, there was there was no money being lent because lenders were pulling products, but <clears throat> there was money available. They wanted to lend that money out. They just didn't have a, a mechanism to do it. So now that that's stabilized, and obviously we've seen lenders come back to the market, obviously initially they were coming back in. It was a real shock factor because it was like six, seven, eight percent. And everyone was like, what the hell's going on? But obviously it's stabilized a lot and it's come down since then. And then, and then, yeah, look, we, I think every, unless you've been living under a rock for the last you know few months everyone will know that you know the more the, the the property market is going to be a bit more quiet this year uh having said that like you know as i said to you guys off air i'm, I'm still incredibly busy with clients that are buying properties but i think that's because investors are taking advantage of the fact that they don't have as many residential um buyers to compete with sometimes um but lenders lenders are very wary of this they know that there is a smaller pie this year um, so they need to be more competitive. I think at the moment they're being competitive rate wise, um, or they're, they're pushing rates, um, and probably taking smaller margins, although we are seeing increases in, um, lender fees to make up for it. So it's kind of swings and roundabouts, but, um, but I think the next big thing will, I'm really hoping that it's going to cause a bit of a revolution. Maybe that's a bit more, a bit too hopeful, but bear a revolution in, in criteria changes um and, and lenders really going after you know some some niche products serviced accommodation um social housing even even you know lenders may be going into hmo that didn't do it previously multi-unit freehold blocks and and all this kind of stuff that investors love um and are going to be really useful and great tactics and and uh, and strategies for this year and um, and that that maybe might help because lenders are going okay well we're not lending to these types of people at the moment why don't we because the pie there is quite is you know there isn't a lot of players uh, trying to get a slice of that pie so why don't we go in and try and get a slice of it so um, yeah we'll 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 see I'm really hopeful that that's what happens but um, but yeah at the moment lenders are having to be competitive because the pie is a lot smaller and they they need to keep their their slice of all got targets they want to reach this year. And uh, and mm. this year is going to be as, as as tough as it has been for those those lenders to reach those targets. Cool. And Sam, just to just to jump in quickly, Toby, on the competitive bit before we move on, can you? Uh, I'm a bit a little bit more detached from the, the UK market now in terms of the the interest rates and where we're at at the moment, just because obviously I'm I'm based in Dubai. So, can you give people perhaps that haven't actually analysed or been looking at specific rates in a long time, someone that might be considering doing something, maybe a snapshot of like the numbers and certain scenarios of what interest rates we're looking at for UK and overseas guys? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine um, that, a lot, well, I've certainly found in my in my um, uh, my experience that a lot of the guys that invest from overseas do so in a UK-based limited company. So we can kind of use um, use use that kind of scenario, if you like. If you if you are if you're UK based um, buying investment properties in a limited company, buy to let mortgages. If they start with a four, you're doing really really well. Um, m- most start with a five, however, and there are going to be some that start with a six as well. I think if you're if you a lot of this is down to to looking at rental calculators. Um, one thing I'm sure you guys have found as well is that you know you need much higher yields than you did just 12 months ago to achieve you know the standard 75% loan to value on a lot of these mortgages. Um, so what I'm actually looking at is um, if if it can stress test it and it works with a rental calculator at a stress tested rate of six and a half percent, you're generally going to be you, you should be okay. Um, I think foreign investors. 
you know, there are there are rates that are available that are in the fives. So don't be shocked to see a five or maybe even a six at the beginning of your interest rate at the moment. That's, you know, that's roughly where we are. UK based investors can still get stuff with a four at the beginning. That is good. And I think the one the one thing that this is highlighted massively and, and something that I just want to bring up again, and it's, and it's something that me and Nick always mention, and when we're speaking to investors we do, is how important it is to speak to people within the industry and on the ground because a lot of investors that we speak to on a day-to-day basis, they read what's going on in the media, they don't know the full picture, and then how you've just explained exactly what happened and simplified it and puts sort of a real true picture on it it makes it sound a lot less scary and again it would probably encourage you to to keep investing or or keep buying a property or not be put off as much and i think that is really really important and i can only stress that enough sort of speaking to mortgage brokers speaking to estate agents or whoever it may be within the industries in their special fields is very important so you can get a clear picture and not only just in general but in the local area you're looking at as well because as we know hyper locally different locations do uh, operate differently and perform differently so that was very important so yeah it's, it's it's great to see see that and hear it from your perspective because it's something that we say but obviously not being mortgage brokers sometimes investors might sort of take that with a pinch of salt of course mm-hmm. uh, because we're not doing that on a day-to-day basis which is great and going back to what you mentioned about uh, criteria etc as well it'd be good to get an understanding of what a, a criteria looks like for most people because we get a lot of investors maybe they're they're young and it's their first investment or they own a property and it's going to be their first investment or sometimes we get older investors that saying oh look i can't get a mortgage because i'm i'm in my 50s and oh i'm i'm pretty sure that i won't be able to get lending so what 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 sort of misconceptions can you um sort of put an end to or enlighten us on that is probably stuff we get on a day to day and i i assume you would get on a day to day basis as well yeah, I think that lots of people assume that they can't do things. The big one for me is people can't, people assume they can't refinance within six months. I still get that all the time. I mean, I pump out so much content about the fact you can. I'm, I'm like, come on, man. How long have you been been watching my videos? Come on. <laughs> um, but that's always a big one. But no, the, the, the if you look at the spectrum there in terms of age um, and experience, etc., um, look, we'll start from the other side. If you're 50 and you think you can't get a mortgage, then, you know, I don't know what's going on. Of course you can. Um, There are, especially in the investment side, there are lenders that don't have upper limits in terms of age. There are actually lenders that don't have an upper limit. They're few and far between, but generally speaking, because they're investments, um, don't forget the lenders aren't working out whether you you personally can afford to pay those mortgages. So as much as there are still lenders that have what we call minimum income requirements, which is basically, I, I liken that to, it's a little bit like going for a job interview and on the spec it says you have to have a 2-1 at university to apply for this job. If you have it, then you can apply for it. If you don't have it, you can't. And a lot of lenders will say, right, unless you earn 25K a year, we're not lending to you. Unless you earn 20K, 15K, whatever it might be, we're not lending to you. But a lot don't have that um, because the reality of it is, is that all they're worried about is, does the income from the property wash its face, i.e. does it cover our payments? And is there a little bit left over? Because if there's a little bit left over, then they'd like to think that you're keeping some of that to cover any potential void periods that you may have when you switch over your tenancies. So in from in, with that um, <clears throat> with that kind of mindset or that thought process, surely, you know, it doesn't matter. You, you That property can actually run even when you're dead. <laughs> so, so um, 
so 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 that's that's the thought process there so so you know even if you're in your 60s or even if you're in your 70s i've got clients that are in their 70s i have clients that are in their 70s and we remortgage their properties and it's fine um on the other end of the spectrum if you're a first-time buyer first-time investor it is difficult to get a mortgage there's no doubt about it but once you've got your first one it's 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 much easier it's like anything the first time you do anything it's hard you know, the first time you learned to walk, it was mm. bloody difficult, you know? <laughs> um, so how, how can, why, why would, why would getting a mortgage be any different? Um, lenders will look at it in, in one or two different ways. Um, there are some lenders and I find this is more on the limited company kind of side that see, okay, this person is starting a business. Therefore, you know, we're happier than being a first time buyer, first time investor, um, and we'll treat them, you know, with pretty similar, um, criteria to, you know, how we would anyone else. There are some lenders, however, um, these are more kind of your more traditional lenders that work with those that are buying maybe in their personal name. And what they'll do is they will just do a, 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 more, a standard like residential affordability calculator with you or affordability assessment with you to ensure that you could actually um, get this mortgage, even if it was on a residential mortgage. Um, now, the reason why lenders actually do that is because what we found pre credit crunch was because it was, I mean, it was so easy to get a buy to let mortgage pre credit crunch. Um, you just had to like fill in a form with whatever you wanted to fill it in with, sign it Daffy Duck at the bottom and you were good to go. And, <laughs> and they would just let you whatever you wanted. Um, it was like being in America, you know, which is exactly how America is today with mortgages. You just sign, you just lie on a, on a form and they'll give you whatever money you want. You can have like 27 mortgages if you like, it's ridiculous. Um, wow. Um, yeah, it, the mind, it's, it's amazing, really, how we had that that huge, you know, issue a few a few years back with anyone. <laughs> anyone has watched The Big Short, and if you haven't, just watch it. And you'll just oh, see how, great stupid, how stupid um, the American mortgage market is. The mind literally boggles. Um, but there we are. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get too angry with the Americans um, <laughs> on an international podcast. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but yeah, so so um, it was really easy to get a buy-to-let mortgage. And so what people would, would tend to do is they would just take out a buy-to-let mortgage um, and and then go and live in it. And they're just trying to avoid that because there is two different regulators that cover those types of mortgages and they don't want to be crossing them over. So um, so yeah, lenders just have a bit of a, they, they just have a bit more of a checklist if you like. And they'll look at things like, where do you live and where's the property? Where do you work? Where's the property? So if you're by, if you're living in, in Croydon, and the property's in Croydon, and it's a and it's a buy to let. They are kind of going to be a bit suspicious that you might move in there. But if you live in Croydon and the property's in Wigan, then obviously that makes a little bit more sense. If it just so happens to be that the, the HQ of your the prop of the the company that you work for is in Wigan as well, then obviously they're going to go hang on a second. Um, but mm. you know they'll um, you know it's it's things like that, that they they look out for. But both both those things are possible. Um, age is just a number and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly possible, and we work with with loads of first time buyer, first time investors. But you know, I have to actually say that a lot of those um, actually, because I think we we work with very, very, very creative, very passionate, and very um, ambitious property investors a lot of the time. And you know, I think maybe this is a a, a sort of an offshoot of of sort of property courses you know a lot of online education social media you know hyping up property investment as, a, as a, an amazing strategy which of course it is it's, it's it's the strategy uh for wealth building um I, I doubt there are that many millionaires and billionaires in the uk that don't have a real estate base that, that, that creates that wealth for them um but um 
they do get hyped. They do, they do, they are massively ambitious. So we actually find a lot of our clients that are first time investors are actually using bridging finance to purchase like rundown properties to start with. So they're doing stuff like that, which um, is a little bit more easier to get. Um, and then of course, once they've acquired that property, they're no longer a first time buyer, albeit they might have to wait six months, nine months, 12 months sometimes to refinance those properties. Um, it does it does make things a little bit easier. So that's another thing you can look at. Um, your clients probably are more what I would call kind of turnkey investors where they're buying, you know, off plan. Um, they're buying, like you say, city center, city center stuff. Um, so mortgages for those kind of things are going to be a little bit difficult the first time around. But once you've got that first one under your belt, you should be flying. Yeah, I think that was really useful. There's a lot of stuff there about, um, you know, what lenders are going to consider when they look at you, difference between sort of resi and, and buy to let mortgages as well. So really hope everyone sort of took that on board. But maybe to simplify things, Sam, if you were sitting at home and you're a buy to let investor and you're, you're searching online for maybe buy to let opportunities, would there be, say, for example, three things that you would suggest someone looks at to maybe tick the box as in this could be a good bet for a, a mortgage? Yeah, so I think um, there are there are some things. I guess when I when I think of my own personal plans, they're probably quite different to to what a lot of people do. Although, um, and go, going off on a minor little tangent there, <clears throat> I'd imagine a lot of the people you probably speak to, um, you know, although they might be first time investors in in property, a lot a lot of the people that I see that have um, that are able to invest in property well have something else that they do um have a business of some description i call these noisy businesses these are businesses that require a lot of your attention a lot of your time there's always somebody in your ear um this is grand union finance for me there is always someone in my ear whether it's a client or my operations manager ruby who calls me 87 times a day um i love that by the way because you know me and ruby have great chats um she she called me once on a sunday evening when she was in rome and I was like, why are you, why are you calling me? She's like, oh, I just want to check in on this. And I was like, okay, great. Um, they're noisy businesses and they take up a lot of your time. So really what you want is something relatively passive that to invest your money in. And that's where, that's the beauty of probably the kind of properties that you're sourcing, you're, you're helping your clients with is that they will be the nice balance to, to what they've got. But if they have that noisy business and and to be honest in terms of where i see that in if i look at some of my uk based clients that are kind of more property focused that could be a property sourcing business it could be a um you know property management business if you're into sort of rent to rent and stuff and i see that more as like property management um you know it could be an hmo portfolio which is just takes a you know a lot of your time because it's really it's really loud and 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 you know like i say people want your attention all the time um it could be serviced accommodation where you know, you've got high turnover, you've got to work with cleaners to get things turned over, you've got bookings coming out left, right and centre, um, you know, but these are these are things that are generating you good monthly cash flow, high cash flowing um, businesses that do require a lot of your time. And what you're doing there is, you, is you're, you're taking that money from this side and then you're plopping it over on the other side. Um, into something more passive that's, that's hopefully growing in value, but also making you good cash flow at the same time. So I think, look, from a purely from an investment point of view, you want a decent yield. Of course you do, because that's the whole purpose of this. Capital growth is something you, it's it's not it's not a fundamental, it's not a 100%. You don't know what's going to be happening in the market over the next 10 years. If someone had gone back for over the last 10 years, and we've had the pandemic, we've had the, the economic issues recently, we've had Brexit, you know, who 10 years ago could have predicted all those things? Nobody. Um, even Nostradamus would have had a, a struggle, I think. So, um, 
So you can't predict capital growth, but what you can predict um, a lot easier is monthly cash flow, annual cash flow. And that's where I think a good investment strategy has to be based on. And not only that, you know, we are lucky in the UK that we have such a great mortgage market that it, it makes you look for good investments. You, if you get, if you go and buy a bad investment, a mortgage owner is going to go, we ain't lending on it because the rent's not good enough. Mm. So, you know, yield is still massively important. Um, I know a lot of the sort of the, the areas that you guys are going to be um, going to be looking at and, and, and helping your clients with are going to be high yielding areas, you know. Um, I, as a Londoner, I know London is not a high yielding area. <laughs> London, mm-hmm. London is useful for other reasons, um, but it's not necessarily a high yielding area. But realistically, at the moment, if you're not getting at least five and a half, maybe even six percent on a yield, you are going to struggle to get a seventy five percent loan to value mortgage. It's as simple as that. Um, so that is that's a real fundamental. I think a lot of the off plan stuff that you might be looking at, a lot of the turnkey investments, you know, ideally lenders lenders love houses over flats. Um, but if they are flats, they want solid leases. You know, they don't necessarily want things written into those leases that mean that, you know, service charges and all that kind of stuff are going to jump up in 10 years time or whatever. Um, they want that sort of protection. They, they, they would prefer it if it's not over commercial. Um, if it is, then they might have kind of, different types of commercial that they're happy with or not you know if it's sitting if it's sitting right above a bakery we might have a few issues if it's sitting above a, a, a curry house we might have a few issues but you know there, there are still lenders that are comfortable with that um and then you know looking at look, looking at commercial in the area as well is it, is it in keeping with the local area is it mainly commercial in the area and we've just got a little little a splatter of a residential um if they're high-rise blocks you know how many how many um you know how many stories are in there where is it? Is it? Is it? Is there a lift? Um, is there cladding? You know, we know that that's obviously been an issue recently. So all these things you've got to take into consideration um, with uh, with lenders, not just the figures. It's also the criteria as well, and and and, and the property is, as as well. So um, you know, one thing that we I'm massively struggling with at the moment is, believe it or not, I've got six clients at the moment that are buying studio apartments, um, which is driving me nuts. Um, and half of those are below sort of the 30 square meter minimum that most lenders have so um so really struggling there but that's that's another thing to look at as well kind of square footage area you know does it meet lender criteria from that perspective does it meet minimum living standard criteria from that perspective you'd like to think the developer that built them would look at those kind of things but sometimes they don't um so those are the kind of things to check as well cool yeah i think that's really really useful i mean you've always given the guys a a checklist there but the other thing as well i think it highlights the uh the benefit of using a good broker because rather than you know going getting a property or looking at a property sending it to a load of lenders yourself and then waiting to see who comes back positively or negatively I'm sure a decent broker would give you guidance from the outset and say you know these are red flags keep that in mind we know who to direct this to etc and probably save you a whole load of money and time just as important as each other right do you know um so this is relatable I did I did a history degree um, in fact, I did two history degrees. That's how much of a boffin I am. Um, and so whenever, whenever, so whenever I'm like on a pub quiz and a history question comes up, everyone's like, you know, looking at me and I'm like, guys, right? History is everything that's ever happened until now. Like that's a big subject area. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know all of it, but when I when I studied history, it's not about learning everything that's ever happened. It's learning how to find the information. And that's the same with brokering, uh, which is probably why I, I maybe I suit it because because I've got that background. It's having 
the tools at your disposal and the knowledge to go and find the solution quicker than Joe Bloggs would be able to do. Not only do we have um, various different softwares available um, to search both criteria, products, all that sort of stuff, we have access to decision makers at every single lender. Um, so we can go, we have a process where we can get from point A to point B much easier and quicker than, like I said, just, just an investor would um, on their own. So I always say to, to investors, when when you look at everything, a little bit like what I was saying earlier about being a broker and all the different facets there are to that job, um, it's a little bit the same with, with an investor. Um, you know, you're you're potentially you've got all these jobs. You've got to source the property. You've got to do the numbers. You've got to find the finance. Um, you've got to work with your agent. You've got to if there's work to be done. You've got to liaise with a builder. You know, you've got to do go through refinances. All these things that you've got to do. Um, and I always say to them, you know, the beauty of owning a company is you can pick and choose what you want to do. Um, because you can't do all of it. You can't do all of it and make and scale it and make it successful. So you pick what you like. Um, so they might come to you guys and say, I need your help finding properties because um, they don't actually like finding the properties. Um, they then, they, but they might love, they might love finance. So they go, do you know what? That's the job I'm going to give myself. I'm going to be my broker. And that's cool. That's fine. If that's what you love. If you don't love it, then go and get a good broker that can do that for you. You know, if you love managing your property, manage it. Great. If you don't, get a property manager to do it. You know, it's, 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 it's the same throughout the, you know, the, all of the different jobs that a property investor will have. Um, so, but I always say a good broker. So, and I, and I get, I get laughed at a little bit when I say this, the prerequisite of a broker is they should be able to give, uh, tell you what is the best product for your current circumstances. If, a, if, if, a, if a broker is, is, is worth their salt, they should 19 times out of 20, maybe even 99 times out of 100, be able to recommend you the best product for your for your circumstances. It's what comes with that. Um, what systems and processes is, does, does that broker have in place? What support uh, people does that broker have in place to then actually make the whole process easier? Um, and that's I think that's where our focus is. I know that I'm wrong. I know that I'm wrong in the fact that every broker should be able to give that uh, give you the right advice on the product that you want. <laughs> yeah. I know I am because I've worked with some absolutely horrendous brokers in my life. Um, and I won't, yeah, I won't go into any more detail than that, but the, honestly, no, I, no day jobs, please. I get, I get a shiver down my spine sometimes when I remember some of the people that I've worked with and some of the things they've said and done, it just, it really upsets me. But, um, but no, I think it's, you know, it should be a prerequisite that they'll give you that, that basic level of advice. It's then what comes with it that is the differentiator in my book. And that's what we work on on a daily basis. My team are sick to death for hearing me talk about customer service, process systems, operations, you know, education. We're actually, believe it or not, we are working on a, a, a like an automated education program that runs alongside our process. So when somebody enters our, like our, our workflow, if you like, depending on what stage they are in the process, they will get sent videos, basically educating them on what's happening at that point, why it's happening, what what they need to know, what other people they need to be speaking to, what third parties they should be engaging, and then also what we're doing behind the scenes and what happens next. Um, so when I, when I decided to tell my team that this was gonna happen, they were literally like, 
you're 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 going to be doing this all on your own are you sam i'm like yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um so they knew that they weren't going to be getting in touch with me for a while so we're, we're actually currently building that out because we just think that's we know that's something that our clients need and that's and that will be bespoke to the product as well so you know whether they're buying so they're getting an sa mortgage whether they're getting a mortgage for social housing um to be honest with you we don't currently have in our workflow something that's specific for overseas investors but we probably will, will need to add that in um but it's stuff like that that is the differentiator that's that's what's gonna make our company the best brokerage in in the country and that's and and that's i'm not saying that because i'm trying to be like big-headed like we're the best um I know that there are also some great people out there that, that, that are our competitors, but I don't really actually look at our competitors. I don't look at other brokers. I actually look at it at a point of view of what do our clients need? What do our clients want? And we'll just keep giving them what they want more and more and better and better. And I think if you can find a broker that can give you that, give you that support, be on the end of a phone more often than not, it's really hard as a broker, especially when you're busy to answer your phone. You know, I always say to, to, to my team, when your phone rings, try and try and answer it um if you can't ring it back within an hour like that's that's our that's our goal um because we're really really big on on communication and stuff like that you know we send emails but we pick up the phone more often than than anything else and i think it's all those things that roll into one that 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 makes a good brokerage is communication education process and just trying to make things as easy as possible as you can for the client and it comes back around to, to what you guys were saying then in terms of you know why people why it's important to use a broker it's actually a lot of the time it will save you time you don't have you know x number of hours in the day to be chasing agents solicitors lenders surveyors you know um and you also don't have that time at the beginning probably to to ring around you know 10 or 20 lenders to to check on their criteria whereas you know generally speaking we can do that within an afternoon uh, so makes life a lot easier for the investor to have a broker that that has that system in place to be able to do it mm, that's um I mean, that educational tool sounds that would be sounds like that'd be excellent because also once once they've gone through that process and journey and had that education signed it then sets them up going forward if they next time they get a mortgage or if they are consistently getting buy to let mortgages for example and building a portfolio once they understand the process a lot better it makes it a lot more swifter um for them and also yourselves when, when dealing with them and i think also them understanding the process and knowing the importance of certain stages and time frames again just makes it a lot easier for them because i mean some people might might not realize when they get sort of the the mortgage off letter to to sign and send back to fully accept it etc obviously there's there's time constraints on that with some lenders like like one i had the other day i only had two weeks to get it back to them mm -hmm. if i didn't really know what it was and put it to the bottom of my pile of list of things to do and then there's a postal strike and i leave it a week or so to send it back and i'm like oh no i've just lost that my rates now change and i now have to reapply etc it's stuff like that which i think is key and um yeah very important so that that sounds excellent um and also going back to what you mentioned about good broker 100 percent, that is very important because there is lots of brokers out there but there's a difference between mortgage brokers and brokerages um and also good ones as well because there's too many times when i've heard um investors or, or people just buying their own property go oh i can't get a mortgage and i ask them why and they tell me something really simple and i'm like 
what are you talking about? You can get a mortgage. Oh no, my broker sold me, I can't. I said, no, they just can't be bothered to look around or maybe deal with a niche product or something a little bit difficult for them where they might have to do some extra work. I said, go speak to a mortgage broker that is willing to do the work. We'll, we'll shop around and get the product that's suited for you because realistically, um, there is always lending available. It just depends on what that type of lending looks like for you and the criteria that, that you've got. So you should never just give up at the first hurdle. But that's the difference between a good broker. A good broker will go the extra mile, go out and find you the right product that suits you and not just sort of give up just because it's easier for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really, really good point you make, actually, because I, I you know, one of the things I also hear a lot as well is, you know, oh, I shouldn't be paying a broker a fee because they get paid by the lender. Um, and I think it, it's it's understanding the different levels um, of that. Now, if you think that on average, for every £100,000 that um, somebody is borrowing, a lender will pay a broker about 350 quid. Um, that is not a lot of money. So there are lenders out there that, sorry, there are brokers out there that are, that are free, that don't, uh, don't charge a fee. Um, they will hammer you to use their insurance broker, by the way, because that's how they actually make their money. Um, but what they are looking for is something nice and simple. They need to do high volume. If they're only getting paid £350 per £100,000 that they are organizing in terms of lending, they need to be doing huge volume, which means they do not have the time to take on anything that is more you know more complicated it has to be really really simple and there is a place for those brokers because if your circumstances are nice and simple then that's great you basically can get somebody to process your mortgage for you for free which is bloody brilliant and i recommend anyone that has really simple simple circumstances to go and utilize utilize that 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 offering if you do not have a simple situation then you have to think to yourself well, what incentive does this person have to help me um, now, I have certainly got in trouble in the past with previous employers where I have spent too much time trying to help people that they have deemed to be a lost cause because they're just looking at the top line. They're just looking at what am I making them? And if I'm spending a lot of time trying to help somebody because I'm just a bit of an idiot sometimes and I, I, I you know, I love a lost cause <laughs> apparently, um, you know, that you know that but generally that's unlikely to happen you've got to you've got to look at it is a business at the end of the day um you know a phrase that one of my old managers used to tell me was uh, we love what we do we don't do it for love and uh that that's certainly true and the more expertise you require of a broker the more you've got to expect to pay them because ultimately you're paying for the time that they are taking out of their day where they could be helping somebody else help you and you know a lot of the time i think i had i had a situation recently it was really not recently it was a couple of years ago really complicated case like stupidly complicated um and the client was literally buying buying a house up north and only needed to borrow like 80 grand so i said to them look i'm just going to be really upfront with you for this i want to help you but you have to make it worth my while at the same time i am running a business here at the end of the day and i and i said to them you know i need to I need to charge you this amount and they said well that's like two percent of the loan amount i'm like yeah but i'm not looking at it in terms of percentages i'm looking at it in terms of like the worth of my time i'm probably gonna have to put x number of hours into this so actually when you work that out on an hourly basis it's not that much more than minimum wage um so that's the reason why i'm gonna have to charge this and they said oh well there'll be someone out there that will do it cheaper i'm like be my guest i'm just telling you like how much my expertise you know I need to, I need to charge for, um, he went, he went away. He 
didn't get the service he needed. He came back, we did the deal and he was very happy. And we still work, I still work with him to this day. Thankfully he doesn't get eight, eight grand mortgages anymore. Um, he's moved on to bigger and better things. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, people are, people are too easy, too quick, I think sometimes to go for the cheapest they, they can get rather than looking at paying the most they can afford. And I know that I don't, you know, we are not the cheapest, we're not the most expensive by any stretch of the imagination. And maybe there are some people out there that, that couldn't afford to, to, to pay us. But ultimately, um, we've, we very rarely get, get pushbacks on what we charge. Um, and I think it's because I do explain to them that, that A, we don't get paid very much by lenders anyway. Um, and that actually is not a commission, it's a procuration fee, which essentially is them saying, thanks for doing some of the work that we would have had to employ somebody to do in-house if you weren't doing it you know we check documentation we do due diligence on clients we do kyc know your client checks anti-money laundering checks we do all that stuff in-house um before it's it's sent over to a lender so that is stuff that although they're checking it it's stuff that's already been checked so it's an easier task for them so they don't have to have a front front end person doing that doing that stuff so that's what that fee is there to cover the work it's to cover the work that we do for them it's not it's not a commission so um so i think it is really important and it's not just about brokers um you know if you're serious about being a property investor you're going to need a good solicitor you're going to need a good accountant you probably need multiple good solicitors actually um you know you might need a surveyor you might need a property sourcer you know all of these things that are going to help you be successful and i've, I've always been a great advocate of of you know, pay as much as you can afford to pay. You know, I can't. I, I you know, I'm, I, uh, in the, I'm in the process of kind of edu educating myself and, and getting mentors on the business side, so I can grow and scale my business and, and make it better and help more people. Um, I can't afford to go and like get the best mentor in the world. So I'm, I look for people that are within my price bracket, but I, I'm, I want to pay, you know, for somebody who can impart knowledge on me that um you know that, that's worth worth that money um so yeah for anyone out there that's listening to this and you're thinking i just need to just get the cheapest out there you you, you know you get what you pay for ultimately mm. that is um that is that is true i mean you look at uh, i know somebody who worked for a damp company to who would be the initial person to go out and if you rang them you know you get a free survey and he pretty much told me that the reason it's free is because he's incentivized to go out and find as many problems as he can to then obviously bill. And he said sometimes there'll be stuff that didn't even really need doing, but because obviously they don't charge anything for that, they're just there to sort of book the work. And um, that's what he that's that's what he did, and that was his job. Um, and that's why then you look at other companies which will charge you for a survey, and then you got to think, well, they're not as incentivized to find problems that maybe don't need their their assistance and it's going to cost you more money so but it's the same with with your line of work if, if you're charging a fee um up front to the client you're less incentivized to go with a, a lender that maybe is more favorable for yourself in terms of remuneration but to the client um maybe not be the best scenario for them so yeah think about it think about it from um, from a valuation perspective you can go and get a free valuation done by an agent or you can pay, pay a surveyor to go out to your property the surveyor is being paid to go and value your property the agent is going out there to try and get try and get you to sell your house through them so they will do everything in their power to to to, to make that happen which won't necessarily be giving you the right valuation for your property <laughs> um so whereas a surveyor has no incentive other than, right, I'm just going to go and do my job because I've just been paid to do it. 
So that's a good, I think that's another good, good example of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, no, that's great. So coming to the end of the podcast and I thought it'd be great to end on getting a bit of insight to what you see the future holding for the mortgage market and any advice you would give to somebody who's looking to enter it and get a mortgage at this current moment in time. So, yeah, I think as I mentioned earlier on, I think we have reached a point where we're quite settled now. Um, I think we have reached a new norm for the time being. And realistically, as as much as I said earlier that the Bank of England base rate and where that is at the moment doesn't have necessarily as much correlation to mortgage rates as maybe it has done in the past. Um, I do think that realistically now, unless there is some other big catastrophe that, catastrophe that happens for the next 18 months, we're pretty much there or thereabouts. Um, mortgage rates are probably going to stay at this level for at least that point, maybe even a little bit longer going into 24 months. Um, I think until the um, the government reaches its kind of short-term inflation target, which is about 6%, we're not going to see the Bank of England base rate stop necessarily going up. I think we've got another couple of months ahead of us where that's going to happen. I think it will start to be smaller increments, don't get me wrong, um, but they're moving towards that 4.5%, which is where they thought it's going to top out. You know, we're only half a percent away from that now. So that could happen next month, you know. Um, so I think we're, we're there or thereabouts. Realistically, until we start seeing the Bank of England net then reduce its, its rate, we're not going to we're not going to see a decrease, I don't think, in, in mortgage rates um, on, a, on a like a widespread scale. So for anyone that is umming and ahhing and using mortgages as an excuse to not invest in property right now, if that is genuinely the only reason, then it isn't a reason. It just really isn't. Um, you're going to be waiting a while. And to be honest with you, you're just going to miss out on opportunities. I think over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, there's going to be a ton of opportunities to enter the, the investment market, maybe with a slightly lower like lower price bracket than there was previously. Um, there are less buyers in the market. Um, there is decent levels of stock, which means that, you know, the supply and demand issues that we usually have aren't as bad as they normally would be. So your competition is a bit lower. So now really is the time to go. I think, you know, um, was there's a phrase in there, um, million, millionaires are millionaires are made or more millionaires are made in a recession than not. Um, you know, you're not necessarily going to become a millionaire during a recession, but certainly you can create the base for doing it coming out of the recession when prices start increasing again. So I think we are, you know, we are looking at a dip in the market. There is still lots of lending available. We're also very liquid. The mortgage market is incredibly liquid. There, There is over a trillion pounds worth of funding available, which is, you know, for over the last couple of years, that's been kind of the staple, but that's never happened in our history. We are more liquid than we've ever been. Uh, so there's, there's loads of money about lenders want to lend it rates are as competitive as they're going to be um you know now now's the time to do it basically what are you waiting for yeah cool it's really toby i was just thinking it's really interesting to hear someone kind of echo our ethos and our thoughts what we've been saying for the past few months i'm sure it's refreshing for our uh, our audience as well but yeah i was really engrossed in that sam i was listening to some really interesting points there so i'm sure there's a lot of um, <clears throat> interesting takeaways that people have had so yeah just for the listeners then obviously you can reach out to us and we'll provide any uh relevant introductions to Sam. But Sam, do you want to, as we finish up, give us a quick overview of where people can find you, how you can help and the best uh, best channels to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm a, I'm a big lover of social media, which is where obviously we, we, we came into contact. Um, Instagram is where I'm most active. So I'm posting videos pretty much every day on Instagram. I'm at the Sam Norris. Uh, just Sam Norris was taken and isn't being used, which is really annoying. 
Um, so I decided to put the, the beginning. Uh, so at the Sam Norris on, on Instagram, I do a live Q&A every Monday at 5pm, which I call the Monday Mortgage Melt. I've been doing that for 127 weeks on the trot now. Um, so something that I really enjoy doing. Um, I also have um, a relatively successful YouTube channel. So if you're looking at more kind of like kind of explainer videos, um, I put kind of news related videos on there as well. So the last one I put on was about exactly what we've been discussing, like why mortgage rates coming down with the Bank of England base rates going up, <clears throat> then, then head over to there. You know, there's 195 videos, I think, um, on there currently to watch. Um, I also have my own podcast, the Game of Loans podcast, uh, which you guys are welcome to come on at some point in the future. It'd be really good to have you as guests. Um, we're up to 111 episodes of that now um, with, you know, pretty much the who's who of the of the, the property world uh, being interviewed and having chats with me on on their um, episodes come out every Thursday. But they're really, really the the, the main main places to, to get in contact. If you do have a question, best thing to do is just follow me on Instagram and send me a DM. I think, Sam, at some stage in the future, you're going to have to move into branding and marketing as well because these podcast names, your activity on social, you know, we've got a lot to learn, Toby, as I said earlier. Do you, do you know what? On a, on a, on a, just on a, on, a, on a, like, kind of almost a serious note is that I'm a, I'm a great believer now that, that any any company, no matter what you do, whether you it's a mortgage brokerage, a property investing, investing company, I don't know, you sell cereal, I don't, whatever you do, you, you have to, part of your business has to be a media business. It has to be. Um, and one of the things that we're working on for quarter two is actually going into creating a, a kind of a, a marketing team, which kind of, I guess I, I've learned, I've learned completely on my own how to do it all. I've taught myself how to do it all. I still do all of my own social media stuff, all of my own. Well, I have, I have someone that helps me a little bit with the editing now every now and again, but really it's, it's me. Um, it's taking what I've learned and putting it together, doing it on a much bigger scale. And then hopefully at some point in the future, that will enable not only me to help other companies that might come into the grand union family, um, you know, market themselves in, in the best way possible, but also, you know, potentially outside um, as well. I do love the marketing side of things. Mm -hmm. I never realized that I, that was going to be my thing, but I absolutely love it. And, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe one day we'll have a we'll have a grand junior marketing company out there for everyone to utilize. We'll see. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah, exciting stuff, mate. Well, we certainly be following the journey. Really good to speak to you. That's great, Sam. Honestly, that's been really informative, and yeah, so much great content on there for our listeners. So, thanks for uh, coming on our podcast, and uh, we will definitely be keeping in touch. And as Nick said, anybody that wants to speak to Sam, let us know. We can put you in touch, or just follow his handles and uh, reach out to him on Instagram. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>